Lonely Monk Productions. Do you like storytelling? Or do you like me? Well, join me on April 27th at Caveat in New York City on the Lower East Side as I share a true story from my life on the show Risk. Created and hosted by my former guest and my pal Kevin Allison, Risk is the live show and weekly podcast where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share in public. And here's a tip. Tickets are available now for $18 if you purchase them in advance or, you know, $20 at the door if you wait until the day of. Can't make it to New York but still want to catch the show? Well, the night is being live-streamed via Stellar, and those tickets are only $15. Visit www.risk-show-tour for more details. That's www.risk-show-tour. Hope to see you there. I don't know if y'all have heard Overrated by Kenya Vaughn yet, but yo... That's my joy. That's my joy. Hey yo, displace the guilt. What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I'm your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Johns, the Martian John Hunter, a.k.a. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. On today's episode, I am joined for a conversation by Taylor Goldsmith of the band Dawes. We talk about a great deal, and I cannot wait to share it with you. That's coming up in a bit. But first, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the show. Or, welcome to the show if you're joining us for the first time. You know, I've been seeing in the numbers that each week we've been hitting the ears of a lot of new cats and kittens. And, oh man, that warms the heart. I love this show and I love the opportunities it affords me to chat with creators about the arts and the obsessions that they are so passionate about. And that's the important thing to me, sharing with you the cool things that are out here being created that maybe you might not know about. Or maybe you do and you just want to learn some more about it. Either way, that's reminding me, if you did not know, on the website www.yothatsmyjohn.com, there are pages for every episode of this podcast, every single one. And supplemental to each episode, those pages have links to each guest and their music or their films or their reels or whatever their art may be. It's there. So if you find yourself digging the conversation I have with a guest and you want to experience or interact with the art that they create, you can do so on the website. Also up on the website is a link to our merchandise store. Click the shop link and you can get yourself a fine t-shirt or, you know, whatever. And then a few coins from those sales goes back into supporting the show. We have a new shirt design that just went up this weekend, which is a mock-up of the Return of the Jedi teaser poster entitled Return of the John. Eh? You see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, man. It's cool. We have some dope designs up there. So go. Help yourself. 
And of course, while you're on the webpage, sign on up for the mailing list, get the updates, and follow us on the socials at Yo That's My John. Okay, I have a dope conversation to share with you today, and the only thing standing in the way of that is me blathering on. So we're going to take a very short break, and then we will be back with my interview with Taylor Goldsmith. My guest today is a singer, songwriter, guitarist, producer, and is the frontman of the band Dawes. Their latest album, Misadventures of Doomscroller, is a tight, seven-song adventurous new turn for the band, evincing a more ambitious and exploratory approach to recording than that represented on their earlier albums. They are currently touring the U.S. with An Evening with Dawes, featuring two sets from the band ranging their entire catalog. You can catch them in town here at the Fillmore on Thursday, March 16th at 8 p.m. Tickets are still available. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Taylor Goldsmith. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Taylor Goldsmith. Taylor, thank you for joining me on Yo, That's My John. Thanks for having me. So I have to come completely clean about something. Um, I've actually seen you a bunch of times in concert um, because um, I'm a big supporter of WXPN. So um, I've seen you at the festival uh, numerous times. But uh, my fiance and I, we were watching the um, David Letterman interviews um, a a few years back. And he dropped the um, May All Your Favorite Band Stay Together at the end of an episode. And I was like, damn, that's a brilliant line. And she looked at me and she was like, you got goddamn moron that's Dawes and I was just like oh right yeah no I knew that like just, but um what is that what does that feel like when David Letterman is quoting you on his show and stuff like that it's cool because like it's not one of those things that you you know like I don't know it's not something that anybody hits you up beforehand about you know it's not like there's any reason for David Letterman or David Letterman's team to let anybody know he's gonna say that he just says it and so like I I don't remember which episode it was. I don't know if it was the Kanye episode or the Seinfeld episode, but someone texted us like the new TV show of 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 Letterman. He he quotes you guys, so it was out in the world by the time we ever even heard about it. And and then to find out that he did it a few times with different interviews was uh, the coolest feeling. I mean, we'd crossed paths with him in the past, but you know someone like him uh not only a a late night host but but the late night host for so long um we never really when he would say things on camera like yeah the Dawes guys are here we never really felt like that meant that he knew who we were Uh, because sometimes they don't and that's totally reasonable they have different artists in every day like how can they really keep up um but then to hear him quoting our 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 a line from one of our songs uh yeah meant the meant the world to us it was the 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 coolest thing and it's like oh i guess he was clocking us when he we came back yeah it's crazy and then like uh i don't he he put the song on the uh title playlist that he put together too and i'm just like that's cool and and i'm like that's just so amazing like i couldn't imagine like my head would explode because um i don't know if you can gather this from the fact that i interview people but like (laughs) letterman carson those guys were all like my guys you know like i grew up like obsessed with that so like i couldn't i just couldn't even imagine it's so cool it was was so surreal and then and then uh, there was like a um a private talk between little stevie from the e street band and and bruce springsteen to talk about little stevie's book that came out and um 
and we you know this was way after the fact that we found out because it was like a private thing there's no cameras or anything and someone uh let us know like yeah at one point in the conversation bruce just started saying there's this band they have this line all your favorite bands stay together may all your favorite bands stay together by dawes and they really encapsulate what it feels like to blah 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 and Bruce Springsteen just goes off on on our song, and we had no idea that he was uh, aware of us at all, let alone to that extent. Um, so it was another one of those moments for us of like, this feels so surreal. Yeah, I mean, like to me, that's like better than any award, better than anything. Like when it, when yeah. when like one of the masters of the field is like, hey, this is a great song, <laughs> you know? Like that's just yeah. I mean, because the reality is that's who you're talking to anyway. I mean, um, I was talking to a friend of mine uh yesterday about this where he was feeling some down on on where his career's at as a musician and yet the other day like my brother and him were walking through a some art installation or something and a lot of people were coming up to him being like i'm a really big fan of your music and he acknowledged it to me he's like i know that they were saying that but it's just so hard to pick that up it's so hard to accept that um, that negative bias in our brains immediately wants to to just cancel it by saying, well, they probably have bad taste and that's why they think I'm okay. Or they probably are one of a thousand people and this is crazy luck that they would find me. Like there's just so many ways to resist letting someone in. And and if that's the case, if we can't accept that, and we also can't accept it when, when, when you're just given a bunch of, not, not this has happened to Dawes, but those artists that are given a bunch of money and like give, and, and given a bunch of fans and big stages and they still can't find that joy or that peace or that contentment. Um, if both of those things aren't scratching the itch, I, uh, you know, if you're not in the right headspace, I think that the one thing that it always does is the fact that when yeah, these 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 this music that we make, like you know, like you doing what you do, it's a it is somewhat of a message to Carson and a message to Letterman, um, and what I do is somewhat of a message to um, Bob Dylan and and Joni Mitchell and Bruce Springsteen, and so for them to at all acknowledge it um, and to see that hey, you inspired me, and now I'm I'm kind of like ping ponging it back to see what you think if you ever even hear of who I am. It it's it, it you're right. It's it means more than the biggest venue sold out. It means more than the most albums sold. Um, it it's 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 not all about like just pleasing your heroes necessarily. But we do this stuff to just feel seen in the world. And if it's by the people that showed us how to do it in the first place, it just it just it really resonates. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. You know, and it's funny because I I used to have a, a small, very very small. Um, music career but but i was i was the same way as your friend like um people would come up and and it was it was always to me the old groucho marks uh i never wanted to be a member of a club that would have me and that's yeah. what it was like oh yeah he likes me of course he likes me but what about that person why don't they like you know like, yeah like it's it's crazy i mean like we were i was dealing with that the other day we sold over we had sold like 1300 tickets at a venue in a city that like a, a a good market for us and I and and any day of the week that should be amazing for anybody and yet because that venue has like a three thousand person capacity I was like man that's not even fifty percent like immediately I started reframing the equation to to beat myself up with it yeah uh, and I don't think anybody is spared from that I think we all um, find ways to talk ourselves out of accepting good things. <laughs> yeah. And, and unless we practice, unless we get, I mean, obviously like 
children, spouses, like beautiful moments and you're, it, they're, they're impossible to resist. And, and they, and they do bring things in, quite into focus, but when we're sort of like off our tether and uh, when I'm out of the house away from my children that put everything to, into perspective, it is easy for me to, to go down those wormholes. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's weird, like doing this podcast and stuff like that. You know, one of the things like this was birthed out of the pandemic, um, as so much was, um, yeah. and, and like it, it was, very like I took that time to kind of find myself and, and to just appreciate things. And, and, and that's what all of this started for. Like, I just wanted to show people that I appreciate them and I wanted to talk to them about the, the things they create that I appreciate. But like slowly as we move away from the pandemic, then it's like, then I start looking at the numbers and I'm like, all right, yeah. now the numbers aren't moving, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And, I, and I have to like, keep coming back to like, just refocus on, wait, no, that's not what this is about. So go back to the heart of yeah. it. And, 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 and it's and it's and it's weird because in some respect that voice inside of our heads is what helps us stay ambitious. It is what helps us stay focused. It does help us self-preserve. You know, like when I look at like a, a venue that's not selling as well as another one or something, it's not because like I simply want to play to a packed house. I mean, that sounds fun, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is survival. And I'm looking for any indicators that might suggest that that is slipping away. And if that's the, it is the case, um, then I then I should act accordingly. But like we're saying, your your brain is telling you to fear things that aren't worth fearing. And like and and so it's like I I love that voice that tells me, all right, we're playing at the Beacon Theater tonight. What's the next one? I like it, but I I can't let that be the only voice in my head. I have to hear that one and then. And then be like, yeah, that would be great to play Radio City someday. That'd be great to play MSG someday. But but uh, the other voice in my head is saying like, but to 14-year-old Taylor Goldsmith, the idea of playing here tonight is the greatest thing that could have ever happened. Like full stop. Yep. Yep. And that it's a, a beautiful segue because I always like to take it back to childhood. Uh, when you were growing up, like what kind of music was playing around the house? What were your folks into? Uh, my dad was a real disciple of R&B and soul and funk. And so when we were growing up, we would go see him play and sing with with bands around L.A. And he would invite us onto stage. My brother's our drummer, so he'd invite us both onto stage. And that's kind of how we learned. Um, and some of his older musician pals hated it. They didn't like having the kids up to, to clunk around. Um, but it taught us to think on our feet. It taught us to watch a band. And that was really helpful. Um, and, and it's funny because, because of the diet that our dad had us on, it was like Otis matters, James Brown matters. Um, but maybe the Beatles matter, but the, the Bob Dylan definitely doesn't matter. And Grateful Dead definitely doesn't matter. And so as I got older and I was starting to find my own, my own thing that I responded to, um, probably by accident, probably also in some respects as a reaction to where my dad was coming from. Um, I did find those artists and my dad's a really sweet, open-minded person. So when I was like, no dad, really listen to what this Dylan song does or listen to what this Grateful Dead solo does. He would, um, he's like, oh wow, this is amazing. And now he's into it. But um, it was that I was really late to that stuff because I, um, I, I, you know, when you're young enough um, and you have a cool dad, like I was lucky enough to have, he just, what he said was what the truth was. Um, and so I loved Steely Dan and I, and I loved just like slick, funky stuff. Um, and then of course I was, a, I was a normal kid too. So I liked popular music. Um, 
at the time. I mean, I sometimes joke that I sort of failed being a kid in the 90s um, because I had this opportunity to really dig Nirvana, really dig Pearl Jam, really dig R.E.M., Pavement. Um, and instead, I just was like a TRL kid. And I dug like Third Eye Blind and and Matchbox 20. And, and not that that stuff's not doesn't have its place in the world, but that I could have just gone. I could like the things that now I, I'm obsessed with um, was actually being released while I was like old enough to be informed by it. And I just was letting it all go by while I watched TRL and Carson Daly. Um, and so I, and you know, I, it's funny more than anything else, but it's, it's, it's something that, um, all the stuff that really, really meant a lot to me. I just feel like I was in that respect, a real late bloomer, Elvis Costello, David Bowie, Rolling Stones, all this stuff wasn't really clicking until I was early twenties, Leonard Cohen. Um, yeah. Joni Mitchell being the number one in, in, in my, and on my Mount Rushmore. Um, it just like, I wasn't really that aware. Yeah. What was, what was it that clicked when, when you finally made that switch when, when you abandoned the, the TRL ness of it all? Yeah. Um, well that was just, I think getting a little older, I think, yeah. you know, going from 14 to 15 and all of a sudden being like, wait, this Steely Dan stuff and this queen stuff was, uh, I like it more or David Brubeck or whatever it was. I like this more than the, um, than that. And it's just as simple as that. And then, but then like I was into this sort of beefy musical stuff and I was obsessed with Queen and I was obsessed with that. Yeah. Just the more chords, the more notes, the faster I, the more impressed I was. My, my criteria for what I liked was um, in my opinion now kind of warped. Um, and then I actually met this producer, T- Tony Berg. Um, and I, at, all through this time, I was like shoulder to shoulder with my partner in crime, Blake Mills. And uh, we kind of learned music together. So we were kind of on the same path with with the the Stevie Dans and the Queens and all that stuff. And when we met um, Tony Berg, he was like, don't get into that. Like, check out, like, Queen's cool, but you need to understand why Bowie is Bowie. And in my mind at that point, I was like 19. I was like, but but David Bowie can't sing as high as Freddie Mercury. So why would I like that more? Um, and and he was like, and don't listen, like Steely Dan's fine, but listen to the Rolling Stones. And I would think, but Steely Dan has way more notes in their chords and they're way like, they're way funkier. So why would I rather listen to the Stones? And through his education, basically, I was able to understand why those artists are those artists. And it also taught me uh, very distinctly the sanctity of a song, why, why a song can go way beyond what a instrumentalist or 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 just a vocalist can do um and that's when i fell in love with like i went from like to 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 put it in a succinct way it was i went from being a paul guy to a john guy (laughs) and and that that happened like i was around yeah 2021 and all of a sudden the guys that i was obsessed with were guys like lou reed people that couldn't even tune their guitar let alone play it and then guys that couldn't sing in tune and but there was something I, w- I was all of a sudden understanding people's essence. I was able to uh, I, I was less it was less about being impressed and more about feeling like I know someone intimately. I know Lou Reed intimately, or at least he's allowed me to feel like I do. Um, and and that's sort of that became the guiding light for for what what else I looked for. So by the time 23 came around and, and our first band broke up and Blake decided he didn't want to tour anymore and Dawes was starting. um I realized like, oh, I want these songs to be about something. I want 
to potentially do for a listener what Lou, what, yeah, what Lou Reed or, or what um, Leonard Cohen has done for me just through words, not through acrobatics. Um, And, and, and that's when Dawes started basically like right at that moment. Um, So it was, it was kind of a serendipitous few years where, where one band was ending and one band was starting and I was changing very dramatically. It, it's really interesting to hear that because like you, you know, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, like you're, you're very lyrical. <laughs> um, so like, so like to, to know that your, your initial kind of want was more kind of um, how many notes can I cram in this as opposed yeah. to like, because I, I do think that, but you know, looking at, looking at doom scroller, it's kind of like you found the perfect way to marry both of those kind of concepts in, in your, in your work. That's cool. You say that. I mean, yeah, like I, I think, um, you know, when we were making our first two first handful of records, I was able to do this like, okay, I can have this song, have these three chords and we could all just kind of play the, we could just be as economical as possible and, and let that be the song. And as, as time has gone on, not that that, doesn't sustain careers i mean i look at so many songwriters and that's all that they ever do and it's they're my favorite stuff so it's not like it can't sustain itself but i just found for me you know a big a a, a big um the, the place that does really exist most of all it's not really on spotify it's not really in record sales it's really on a stage it's really in front of our fans playing live and so when we make even when we make records i'm thinking how are we going to get these songs in the set. And if I'm doing these mid tempo three chord, um, almost ballads there, we already have a lot of that. And I can't, we can't, I can't do that Western skyline anymore and have anyone care. Why would they, you know? Um, so I, I have to find ways to like find vehicles for these lyrics that feel, you know, like they, they're appropriate. Like the, the music matches the sentiment, but also ways that can fit on the stage. And, um, and, and it is true that the education continued, you know, like I went from, from the Lou Reed's and the, the, and the um, Leonard Cohen's and, and then, you know, you find your way through all sorts of stuff, very modern stuff, very, very old stuff. Um, And then as, and then in these last few years, especially during um, the pandemic, the thing, the three things I listened to almost most of all, um, was Herbie Hancock, Frank Zappa, and Black Sabbath, and and I thought like, oh, you can you can take songs, like songs can be whatever you want them to be, and you could take you can you can bring so many different elements, and I don't ever want to lose the my relationship to writing words. That's definitely the most um, um, satisfying part of this whole thing for me. But I I can dress them up different. I can have fun. I can I don't have to be some folk folksy guy all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it, I just kind of gave myself permission. How do we, how do we do more? Like rather than thinking minimalist, how do we think maximalist and have it still be okay? Yeah. Um, and, and now any of these songs from Doom Scholar, they're, I, and I, I, I think I can speak for the fans too. They're the highlights of the show because they're so freaky with, with what we do um, as performers that there's all these ups and downs and tempo changes and key changes and just things that happen. It's not just verses and choruses. And so, um, it's cool to be, to feel like, Oh, like the thing that we thought was going to be this experimental moment is actually being rewarded. Um, and now it can, they can go anywhere in the show. 
Yeah. And, you know, it, it is funny to me that it is following the pandemic because like um, the uh, the material that comes before it could almost work in solitude you know, um, on, on an acoustic guitar with one yeah. person, but like this new album is like a celebration of being a band almost like it, it's just got that kind of nature to it. And you're nailing it. I mean, that was definitely what was going through our heads. Like we missed, I missed playing guitar really loud desperately. I missed having the drums blow my ears out desperately. And um, I didn't think I was going to miss it. I took a lot of it for granted the last few years before the before the pandemic. I would I would um, be be bummed to be away from home so much, and it's still hard, especially now that there's kids around. But um, but I just wasn't in. And then once it was taken away, as and this happened for everyone in some way, shape, or form. But once it was all taken away, then it felt very much like, oh, this means so much to me, and this is I, this is, I identify myself to to a large extent with this, and I I need it back, and I miss it, and I I won't take it for granted again. Um, and so yeah, it is a love letter to playing on stage. It is a love letter to long guitar solos, um, and and whatever solos uh but yeah it's 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 definitely a celebration of being in a band you couldn't i couldn't have put it better it's and like it's it's really awesome and then like you know as like kind of the companion piece to it um the album that you and mandy well that mandy's album that you guys worked on um is like the perfect one-two punch of like um just kind of your sensibility i think like it's just a really you know and and it's just beautiful like and and you guys had a kid last year like yeah. what a busy 2022 you guys had yeah well yeah now we, we have a we have a three-month-old too we have we have we have uh, two kids now went into the pandemic with no kids now we have two kids and um and uh yeah i mean that means a lot that um that you're you said that about her album i love that album and we loved getting to tour it it was a wild tour we had our at the time our seven month old with us and mandy was pregnant with ozzy um and it was extreme i mean it was a time where um you know a lot of buses were spoken for everyone was on tour at once so we had this bus the driver was the best guy i really liked him a lot and it's, i'm not it's not a criticism on him or the company but everyone had buses and so ours was just kind of this really rattly one and our poor gus seven months old trying to help him understand why he was going to be sleeping on this fucking roller coaster and <laughs> him just waking up at six in the morning just kind of like what's going on um but in, and but it, ironically, he slept better than most of us. He definitely slept better than his mom, and she was pregnant. And so it was sort of like we had so much fun on the shows, but it was definitely the hardest tour I've ever been on, which is funny because it wasn't even my tour. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, the the I I mentioned WXPN. Uh, we were we were yeah. all bummed in 2021 when you guys had to uh, pull out um, because of COVID. But um, yeah, I got COVID. I actually didn't get it, but but the other three or four of the crew and band. They all got it um, all at the same time. It sucked. It does. Uh, it's it's such a drag. Like, um, what what is that um, kind of touring been like with that kind of just looming out there? Is it something that you have to think about, or is it? Or are we at a point where you're kind of just like it's the reality of of life now, and that's just what we have to. I think it's the reality of life. I think I think we have to be responsible to the extent that we can to protect each other. But I think that that's shifting, and it's definitely not up to me. I'm 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 not, you know, 
Jason Isbell going on CNN and and I, I'm kind of following guys like that's lead, you know, like that's, I'm, that's not my style to pave the way. Um, uh, even though I love him for that, but um, I, yeah, I think that I'm hoping it becomes ingrained into the experience. I mean, I'll be honest in 2018, if I got the flu, I would sing, I would just do it. Yeah. I don't know if that's messed up or not, but I, that's, I think I could speak for all musicians. Anybody would have done it. Um, and now we're thinking about it differently and I'm, 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 I'm cool with that too. Um, I will say that, that the business model won't really work unless people are more willing to let this just be a part of the equation. I mean, you go to shows now and you might see someone there um, in a mask and or someone in the band in a mask that probably means they're sick. And I think in my opinion, it's like, let's just, let's just um, whether or not it's comfortable now, let's work towards that being comfortable um, just so that, that tours don't have to stop. Because if we, if, if, if tours keep getting canceled because people get sick, um, which again, it's not my place to say if that's right or wrong. Um, I don't think people will continue. will be able to tour. Right. Like it, we did. We have to get to a place where it's just okay. Um, obviously you don't want to spray COVID all over everybody. Um, so I know that there's, there's lines to draw and where you draw that line is up to you. Um, but I also think there's a complicity with being a fan. Like I got a front row seat to the show. It's in clo- it's in a it's in a closed space. Um, my safety is not <laughs> can't be guaranteed. You know, it's just whether that's a fan or the or someone in the band. It's just it's just the way things are now. I don't I don't I don't again. I don't have a uh, underlying issue. I don't. There's there's so many factors. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's just it's definitely fascinating, and we're definitely all watching to see how it unfolds. But the cool thing about it is that it's all unfolding naturally without anybody else needing to make a decision about it. Nobody is is in, is is insisting upon culture digesting this a certain way. It's just happening. What was okay a year ago might be okay now. What's not okay now might be okay in a year, and nobody is going to have to make the actual decision. It's just going to take care of itself. Yeah, no, it's well, very well said, very well said. What, um, what has the um post pandemic crowds been like? Uh, because I notice when I go to shows, I, I mentioned this a lot that um people got weird, like, like, <laughs> like it's almost like they've uh, it it was only you know a year and a half, two years, but everyone forgot how to um interact with each other. But uh, how? Yeah, it been I mean, you're right. You? It's weird. It's like I um, I uh, it's fascinating because when we as the guy in the band. It felt like, oh, well, when shows come back, we're going to be more thrilled than ever. All of us, fans and musicians alike, it's going to be insane. And it just hasn't been. And the ticket counts are down across the entire industry. Um, there's a lot of factors there. It's not just COVID. It's it's inflation. It's 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 uh, the fact that people have had a wonky situation with their careers for the last few years. So uh, there's a lot of factors. But COVID's a big part of it. People are a little uncomfortable, I think, or, or some of them are. Um but uh, it's I, I look forward to there being a point where people can just celebrate it again like they did. I mean, I, I do. And I don't, and I don't have less fun. That's for sure. Um, you know, like, yeah, some cities might there might be less people in the room than in other cities uh, or than, or than, uh, than other years, I should say. Um, and like we were saying at the beginning of this conversation, I have to resist the urge to read into that. Um but I, I also, it's, it's something that's everywhere right now. And, and, um, but you know, it does create a different kind of intimacy. It does create a different connection with the folks that do come. 
there's there's something and it's weird to have it be our health but <laughs> it's almost like the like the the um what it takes to 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 make the decision to go to the show the the stakes are higher um and and therefore the ones of us that are there are just a, a little more committed to that decision it wasn't like oh it's tuesday and dawes is here it's it is 2023 and i'm still gonna fucking go um and like and i can feel that energy yeah yeah definitely you know um i i it's it's i've i appreciate it so much more um live music like the first show i went back to i legitimately cried at um i played some shows over the pandemic and they were like like uh live shows um but i was we were so the stage was so distant from where the people were you know these outdoor shows and all and like just being able to connect as a musician and being able to connect as an audience member um i i I definitely uh do not take it for granted anymore like i'm i love it so much and it could have I, I didn't know that I was ever going to experience it again. You know, like it was scary. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely, I definitely feel that. I mean, there were those shows that we tried to put together during the pandemic were funny. We did a couple of those drive-in shows where at the end of a song, people just flick their lights or honk their <laughs> horns. It just felt like you were like playing a live show to a Pixar movie or something. Um, but yeah, there was, it was fine. And it was, I'm glad we got to do that, but it was not any, anything close to getting back into a proper venue and doing our thing again. Yeah, I mean, because it's it really is. It's about connection and communication, and just yeah. you know, vibes and stuff like that. And and it, mm-hmm. it was something that literally took away vibes. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. You know, um, back to Doom Scroller. One of the things that I read you uh, saying was that you guys were kind of cognizant of the the length of a vinyl um, when when crafting it, um, which is something I appreciate so much because I feel like. Um, that kind of restraint of two sides, 40 to 45 minutes is kind of like forces you to just put together the tightest, most precise things. You know, there's no sprawling. There's no like kind of, oh, well, let's just try this yeah. in the studio and, and add it. Um, uh, do, do, did you find that freeing to kind of have that constraint? Yeah, or? I mean, I I think like to me um, – uh, they're very different kinds of music, but I can wrap my head easier around like kind of blue, which is five songs and it's 40 or 40 minutes or so. Then I can for like a 20 song Elvis Costello record. I love like a song, like an album, like get happy, which I, I have memorized. I love that album, but it took me a lot longer to feel like I really grasped it or something. I like wish you were here, which is again, five songs. Even though there are 14 minute songs on Wish You Were Here, I still feel like a full listening experience allows me to just, I can digest that easier than I can a 12 minute, four, uh, uh, 40 minute album. Um, uh, so it's 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 kind of counterintuitive because you think like, oh, that's a 12 minute song. This is going to be hard. But um, by the end of it, the first time I listened to that, I felt like I knew how that album works. I felt like I could like see it, you know? Um and I think I think that probably goes for most fans. I think people don't give themselves enough credit. I think we can we we can grasp um, long songs. It's not a big deal. Um, and so yeah, that was a consideration where like even though this is um, 
less even even though these are longer songs, I felt like it was more digestible than say, "Good Luck with Whatever," which was ten songs. They were more closer between like four and five minutes, or three and five minutes, or whatever. Um, whatever that's a, that doesn't matter one way or the other. I'm super proud of both, but it was important to not for me in this record particularly. I mean, this might change as time goes on. But I didn't want to do a bunch of eight to ten minute songs and then also do a ten out al- ten song album. Yeah. I felt like that would have been just really hard to to have anybody develop a relationship with it, um, at least in the short term. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, I, but I think the our our North Star was really jazz. Like I think, like all those jazz records that we love, whether it's like more fusiony stuff like Herbie or or Monk or or Davis, like there's um. It, it's always four or five six songs and because the track because the the track number is so few it allows them to just go wherever they want it to go and ha- have the end of that listening experience feel like not completely overwhelming yeah yeah oh absolutely you know and you you had mentioned earlier like uh loving steely dan like there's a there's a a, a bit of uh dan to the playing as well like it just <laughs> It's got it. It's got it's got that feel to it. Like, but um, but you know, I, I've I've long um been arguing for um people to use vinyl as kind of the constraint when when thinking about albums because like when you think about all of the great albums, like there you know there are brilliant yeah. double albums and stuff like that, yeah. but they all fit on two sides, you know, and it's yeah. concise and 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 there are things that didn't make the album that I think you know would make you know would make a a, a a spotify album you know if you're looking only at streaming totally. or something like that totally and i think like like you know a, a cool fact like i remember uh reading that that uh when bruce springsteen was putting together darkness on the edge of town he knew it was going to open with badlands he knew side a was if i'm not mistaken was going to end with um uh promised land side b was going to start with racing in the street and the whole album was going to end with darkness in the edge of town he knew beginnings and ends of sides a and b before he knew what goes in the meat of them and then he was able to know like okay i'm gonna put candy's room here and i'm gonna put you know and he was able to kind of figure out the rest but whether or not someone knows that i feel like that kind of care and curation does contribute to why that album is so effective um, you know, someone might disagree with me or, or want to argue that, but I feel like what you're saying, like if you can, if you think about um, arcing for vinyl, you're really just thinking about how to arc it for a, a listening experience. Um, that that is something that has been, to some degree, um, um, like what should I say? Like like not like regulated, but there's or or there's a precedent for it. Like yeah. I feel like we have this relationship to a lot of classic albums that are right around 40 minutes. And so our brain is tuned to that, whether or not we think so. Obviously, like you said, Blonde on Blonde is a double album. Tusk is a double album. All Things Must Pass is a double album. I love all those albums, but uh, it's a different, it's a different relationship that I have with them. Um, And when it comes to that, like I'm going to sit down and listen to a record tonight. There's this part in the back of my brain that is assuming that means 40 minutes of attention. Um, And I, I like that. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel. And I, I also think like it's kind of like um, almost like a uh, not not to get a little spacey here, but a, a, it's almost like fractals. Right. So like, you know, when you think about uh, a, an album or when I think about like a classic album, like it goes from note 
to chord to song to yeah. to, to album and when you know a lot of times people miss that last step of crafting the album and i think yeah. you know something like like doom scroller is just perfectly curated and crafted um not just on the song level but but as an entire piece you know and okay. and i think that's what's missing i think that's one of the things missing from a lot of music is is just that 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 last step of of putting together the album <laughs> yeah i mean i i think about that a lot i mean I th- like i think of like a like even a record like beggar's banquet by the stones i think it's perfect but if if the stones put out dear doctor as like a spotify single it would be like this is not them this is weird i don't know what this is um but in this in the 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 way it plays in that album it gives balance to street fighting man and sympathy for the devil and um salt of the earth there's there's this real ebb and flow of that record where it seems like whether or not they're deciding it explicitly there seems like there's some sort of thinking that's saying let's go big here and let's be the arena band and let's do a small little like campfire song and let those talk to each other and let those make each other better for that very reason. Um, and and now we just live in the single economy where dear doctor probably wouldn't have made that record. Um, it, it would have probably just been like, no, let's just find another one that's some big ass stone single and put that 10 times in a row, which is cool. I love those songs. But it doesn't arc an album, like you're saying. It doesn't. It doesn't help balance something. Because, um, yeah, like Street Fighting Man is so great because there's only one of them on that album. Um, yeah, I, I just think about that all the time, and I don't think that that's a thought about thing anymore. And it's also, I don't. It's. I think our brains have been sort of rewired. To, I don't think we would. Ex- we would even accept it as listeners. I think. I think. Um. So we we talk about these classic records, and there's always these like goofy tunes and. I just don't know if we would allow for it anymore. Back then they were thinking about the whole piece. Yep. Now we just think about us like like what can end up on a playlist. Yeah. Yeah, the um uh I'm a uh, I was a, an enormous mixtape guy growing up, but for some reason playlists are like playlists are like my uh antichrist almost. Like I'm just like, "No, <laughs> no, I can't." I mean, I'm starting to kind of get into them and like and and I'm doing the same thing where I'm just like I I need to limit them to like 10 songs like because it's very right. easy to just be like, "No, this is just everything. Just put everything on it. There's no yeah, end to yeah. it, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, oh, totally. no. and then it's like, "No, you just put the whole album on that." playlist no i know i did but i like all this but um you know one of the things you know I, i've mentioned a bunch of times here is um your relationship with wxpn um you were actually mentioned you guys were actually mentioned by uh dan reed uh on the show um a few years ago when i had him on when we were talking about um bands that the station absolutely loves and feels good about seeing succeed um as if they played a part in doing something oh, um yeah. How, um, how, uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship with WXPN, like, uh, cause they've always been there for you guys, it seems. And you've yeah, always been true. there for them. I've had this, it's, there's been a bit of a pastime where, um, when our records are done, but they're not out, but like once they're mastered, um, I send them to Bruce Warren and, and, and Bruce will, um, will like, you know, send me an email back and tell me what he thinks. And, and it, it, it's, it's really fun for me because it's not through managers. It's not through representatives. It's like me emailing Bruce and Bruce emailing me. And, and, um, and it means a lot to me. And, and, and I hope we, we always do that. Um, 
but yeah, I think I there's so many fond memories of of us as a band um happened at either that festival or free at noon um interviews with david or um or even like you know one of our i don't, I don't know if it was the passwords tour i think it was 2018 must have been because our our our, our play in 2021 was canceled um because of covid but in 2018 or 2019 we did our uh passwords tour we played the Fillmore, which we're about to go back to and and it sold out and for a band like us, having any tickets over two thousand people is a crazy market for us, you know. And that, and there's only few that that are that are like that. I don't know if we'll get that many this time, and that's okay. But like we did that year, and and that's never happened before. And I and um, it's like yeah, it's like three or three or four cities that we can do that in, and and Philly's right at the top of that list. And I think it's it is definitely um, thanks to xpn and all that they've done for us and the way that they've championed us there's no doubt about it um and so yeah i mean we're we're just we're we're truly grateful i'm truly indebted it's really awesome like like i said um you know i was looking at the list going back and and i'm pretty sure i was there's only one year that i was kind of uh flaky on and it was uh 2013 but i'm pretty sure i caught every single exponential music festival uh performance you guys did um which it makes me feel very justified in saying this 2019 as the sun setting and you guys are, are closing out the river stage was without a doubt one of the most phenomenal sets i've ever seen in my life like it was so good like and, and the crowd singing along um yeah. to, it was just it was an absolute experience like i loved it so much thank you thanks well, at this time, would you like to go through my little jauntlet questionnaire? This is um, my questions that I ask every guest to end every episode, and they're very simple. It starts with the one-hit wonders. Uh, Billy Joel or Elton John, who do you prefer? Um, I It's hard to say. I would, I, I, there's certain Billy Joel songs, I think, that, that um, yeah, just resonate with me in, in a in a very personal way. So I would have to say that, but it's, I feel bad even picking. Yeah, yeah, it's a real Sophie's choice there. Uh, yeah. Next one, uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Debbie Harry. Okay, okay, good one, good one. Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Aretha. All right. Uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam, even though you were TRLing it? <laughs> yeah, even though I was busy. Um, <laughs> I'm. I mean, this. I feel like I'm going to get my ass kicked for saying this, but. Um, I'm I'm trying making this a longer answer, but I I always just love it when there's a whole universe to just lose myself in, like like when I fell in love with Willie Nelson or Frank Zappa. I, it's like oh, there's just so much stuff, and I feel that way about Pearl Jam. Like if you go to their Spotify page, and you know there's always albums and there's singles and there's compilations. Under compilations, there's like fifty or a hundred live albums. They just put them all out there. And there was a period where I'm not even that familiar with the albums, but I was kind of like a deadhead for Pearl Jam where I was just only listening to like their whole European tour and I was loving it. So I actually think there's a there's a a, a bigger space in my heart for Pearl Jam than Nirvana. I know that the cool kids are going to crucify me, but that's how I feel. It's all right. I'm a, I'm a Pearl Jam guy myself. So you, you, oh, cool. you got a friend in me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. All right. Uh, uh, the big one, Beatles or the Stones? The Stones. 
Awesome. I love them. I mean, people taught me how to write songs, but there's just so, the danger and the uh, sort of sexiness of the of the stones, and just the 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 uh, decades and decades worth of changes and drama. That's like I was saying, like that's the stuff I live for. So um, I, even though the Beatles are the Beatles and they kind of set the bar for everyone else, I am more a fan of the Stones saga. Yeah, definitely. I, I've I've said it a lot on this podcast, but to me, like the Stones are just a better band. Like you know, yeah. the the Beatles have like a bunch of geniuses who happen to create with each other for a small period of time and then continue yeah. to be geniuses. Um, yeah. But the Stones are just like just a great band, man. Like, yeah, they embody rock and roll in a way that the, the Beatles don't. Yeah, and to me, definitely, definitely. Uh, the last one of the one hit wonders: Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven. Bohemian Rhapsody. I saw it coming. Uh, the the Queen love. I, that was, Definitely. by the way, that was me when I when I was in high school. I was the same exact way. Like I was such an enormous fan. Um, uh, the reason I wanted to play guitar was d- literally just so I could play the solo from We Will Rock You. Like I, <laughs> Brian May was like my idol, and I just wanted to be able to like, because I was like, wouldn't it be cool like to be at a sporting event and just be the guy who only the only <laughs> music on on the stop clap, you know? Like, um, but yes. Uh, yeah. love love me some so queen. Um, the last section is the top 10 countdown we use John in Philadelphia to be whatever you want it to be it's a uh, person place or thing doesn't have to be music can be anything uh, so the first one what was your first John what was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were little I was little um, probably like Star Wars toys probably um, I was like a big action figure kid so I was always playing with um yeah, and Superman comics. That was a big one for me. I had to get them all. So yeah. maybe, maybe maybe that. Excellent. Excellent. Um, did you have a favorite uh, Star Wars figure? Um, I remember like Bosk was particularly coveted. Nice. When I, like, when, they, they, when I was with all my nerd friends and we were all trying to find him, that was always one hard to find. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was like, <laughs> at, you know, at the Target next door, the other Target. But But that's just how it felt. It felt like this this element of discovery of like oh did anyone find it yet um so that one i think very cool very cool uh number two what's your current john what are you into right now um i became somewhat of a amateur book collector with um and i think it just kind of happened out of touring um i kind of own i had all the i had way too many books as it was like all the whatever paperback versions um you know i was finishing a book and buying four you know that's how that's how much i was buying so it didn't make sense to keep doing that and then i got into the game of like well if i'm i can just buy books i've already read but just the really nice first first editions of them obviously i I don't go too crazy i don't get mark twain or stuff you know that are that's cost prohibitive but um but you know modern modern firsts like i love finding don delillo hi gus um Don DeLillo or Thomas Pinchon. Um, I love it. And it's, and it's, a, and it gives me a great thing to do on tour because bookstores, used bookstores are kind of one of the last um, kind of community building cultural spots for, for, um, uh oh, sorry. Oh, look Justin at this here. little guy. <laughs> hey, buddy. Want to say hi? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so book collecting became the, a big thing for me. That's really cool. Um, in in my past, I used to work for. Sorry. Oh, what do you got there? No, it's awesome. What do you got there? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the um, I, in my in my past life, I used to work for the one of the largest rare and uh, used book resellers on the East Coast, and it oh, was wow. without so a you, doubt. So you have all the secrets. You can I really, have all the really, secrets. I do. You can turn it, me on to some stuff. It um it was a bummer when when they went under like because oh. it was just I was just surrounded by just brilliant books all oh, the time so and cool. just the discovery. I, I went to the Antiquarian Book Fair a couple of days ago here in Pasadena, um and it's like I was by far by like decades the youngest person there, um and I just had the time of my life. I love that world. I love I love all these old grumps that are like, Oh, you can't open a brick and mortar anymore. And not a, I just, I just yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That, that world means a lot to me. It's the best. Uh, number three, what was your first concert? What was the first live show you ever went to? First concert, uh, other than like my dad stuff. I'll be right there, buddy. I'll be right there. I'll be right there for lunch. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, uh, go, I went to a bunch of shows for my dad and then, um, the first big big show was at the Irvine Amphitheater. Uh it was Simi Sonic opened and then it was Soul not Soul Live. Maybe it was Soul Live. I don't know. I forget what they were called. Um and then Matchbox 20 was the headliner. It wasn't Soul Live. Soul Live was a fusion band. Um I forget what they were called. But um but yeah, Matchbox 20 and I was really in love with uh the Semisonic album cuz again, I was a TR, TRL kid, so closing time meant a lot to me. And then Matchbox 20, I knew all those songs too. And um yeah, that was a you know, it's funny to admit it, but yeah, that was a big seminal moment for me. I was like, I that's what I want to do. They the, the curtain came up and there was haze all across the floor and they're they're they were all silhouetted with they were backlit and silhouetted which basically every show ever does so it's not any they were doing anything new but i was seeing it for the first time and i thought like this is really cool um remember seeing third eye blind at the greek a few times and just feeling like rock and roll is the coolest thing ever and 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 it's funny because then the stuff that i got into was all just once i got older it was all older like you could you could go see steely dan but it wasn't you didn't feel like you were witnessing yeah. a bunch of rock stars um no offense but just you you weren't um but yeah so those two moments were 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 big for me very cool uh number uh four what was the last concert you went to uh, obviously other than yourself playing or whatever. yeah yeah um what was the last concert i went to i feel like i just was that something um Gosh, it's so hard with the kids now i just don't feel like i've seen music in a long time i'm going to see my friend paul spring in new york um, he's an amazing songwriter. He has a cool new album that's on the 25th. And then I found out that we have a day off. We play Cleveland on March 8th, I want to say. And then we play Chicago on March 10th, I want to say, something like that. And I think it's March 9th that um, Bruce Springsteen uh, plays in Columbus, which is right between the two. So we're going to go see the E Street Band um on march 9th and that's gonna i'm really excited it's gonna get to do that in the middle of the tour is pretty pretty dreamy that is awesome that is yeah. cool like make music ingest music make music like i like that yeah. sandwich that's awesome uh, <laughs> number five what was your favorite concert you ever went to um dang i should have a good answer to that um we in 2013 we opened for bob dylan for a whole tour wow um, and watching you know i feel like a lot of people love to um criticize what he does now live like oh he can't sing or he doesn't sound like he used to and i don't like it 
or these songs are unrecognizable. And to me, the way I've always put it is like after watching that tour, I, I feel like it had a profound effect on me because I would watch the set every night. And yeah, some of the songs were very different um, than anything I'd, any versions I'd ever heard. And he obviously sang in very different ways because his range was a lot more limited. But to me, I really admired it because I feel like so many artists, as they get older, they try to give you some version of what it used to be. So it's like 60% of a 1975 article. And, but Bob Dylan gives you 100% of a 2013 article. Um, and, and that's something that really messed me up in, in a, in a really um, profound way. And the way that they would play and talk to each other with their instruments within, within the um, instrumental sections, like it wasn't, jamming but it also kind of was he would do like a five or seven note figure that would kind of fall over the bar in this weird way and then the lap steel and the guitar would kind of get involved and they'd all of a sudden there'd be this cool like bubbly thing that was happening again no one would call it jamming but they were jamming and and it was just they were creating these beautiful shapes and um you know and to think it was at a bob dylan show like it was it was it was it was a big deal for me that's awesome Fantastic answer. Uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. I missed the final Leonard Cohen runs. I never saw him live. Yeah. That I, Everyone talks about having gone to see those shows. It sounded like it was a pretty profound experience. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm bummed I never caught that. Great answer. Uh, number seven, name an unappreciated, John. Something you wish had a little more shine to it. Huh. That's an interesting question. So, like, what 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 do other people say? Just so I have an idea. So, um, some people will name a band. Some people will name an album. Oh, okay, some people okay. have named like a, a feeling, a movie. You know, anything like uh, right, one, right. one of my friends once said uh, kindness, which I thought was <laughs> fucking beautiful. That's really that's yeah. And then he's right. Um, I guess for me, something that I that I l- love talking about, um, and I feel like people treat it like meat and potatoes is um charlie chaplin movies i feel yeah. like I feel like people are always like oh that's pretty old-timey i'm like no I, that's what i thought too and then you watch it and you realize it's as funny and as important and as beautiful and as entertaining as anything you could wish to see now um and yeah I, i'm maybe i sound like an old funny daddy saying that but but I, I it's weird whenever he comes up and people treat me like i'm a hobbyist i'm like no no he was the guy he was with yeah. brad pitt he was the biggest star you there could be so it's not like i'm hanging out in the fringes um it's just he's his 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 star is sort of setting and and i don't want it to it's so funny you mentioned that because um, I was talking uh, a few episodes ago with a, a, a pal of mine, Zach Eastman, who's a filmmaker, and we were talking about Chaplin. And I was just actually listening to that episode yesterday, and I started thinking about the very first time I ever saw City Lights and just how oh. profoundly moved I was by the end yeah. of it that I was like weeping at a yeah. silent film. You know, like it's just yeah. absolutely perfect. I when I got into him, I did it for the sake of like trying to put to put together some hodgepodge film education. Like, Oh, I I guess I should. That's kind of how it felt. And then I watched the great dictator and I was, I was, I was overcome. I thought this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And then the context of when it was released, which was like right in the middle of the world war two with, you know, featuring Adolf Hitler, who he's making fun of. And like all of this context of, 
he's helping the world laugh at our greatest enemy. Like how incredible is that? Like that's so much more effective than, than any battleground. Um, and, and that, yeah, that's something that just, I couldn't believe it. And then I had to watch everything and modern times. I even show, I even show Gus, uh, Chaplin. I, we, we, we let him do some screen time, but we try to keep it limited. But anytime he asks for Pappin is how he says it. (laughs) Um, I am a sucker and I'm like, cool, well, we can do this all day. <laughs> that is awesome. That is so cool. Um, number eight, what's your favorite album? Favorite album. Um, it's fun to jump around. I mean, I'll say that that in my mind, the two that are tied for first place right now are Hegira by Joni and Warren Zevon self-titled. Wow. I'm pretty sure uh, Hegira was um, Charlie Hall's pick as well. <laughs> Oh, cool. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a new thing. Of mu- it's like new kinds of music. It's music you'll yeah. never hear somewhere else. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Uh, number nine, uh, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they release. Um, Father John Misty. I, yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. Um, anything he puts out, I'm thrilled to grab a hold of. Uh, he's getting older, but I feel that way about Herbie Hancock. Uh, my buddy Mike Viola, he's not a big artist, but any he just released a new single today, actually. And anything he does, I'm just it means more to me than than uh, m- most music I've ever heard. And um, yeah, those are three pretty cool. Oh, Madison Cunningham, she's oh my god, so good. She's it. Like she's she's already to me just historic. And that that riff on on hospital gets stuck in my head for like uh, for hours on end like it's just yeah. so good yeah she's griffin our drummer has played with her a bunch and so i've been around her a lot and and now i just don't want to talk to her because i get nervous because she's just <laughs> she's as good as anyone could ever be it's so good so good the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown end of the jauntlet what is your favorite john of all time again it could be anything you want it to be my favorite obsession or yeah yeah uh like john yeah sorry i'm like, it's like it's no fun it's, to... it's philly lingo you know like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um oh man i mean it's it sounds kind of goofy and i know i know i know i'm in the i'm really really in the thick of it right now but but anytime i get stressed or anxious or a little bit too concerned with you know the five-year plan or blah 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 um once i come back to my concept of family and, you know, for family that I have had, for family that I still have, for family that I hope to have. So it's not something that, um, it, you know, it could be a projection. Uh, but, um, that, the, yeah, that idea is always something that I can't revisit enough. That's something that's always so grounding to me. And um, and if I can kind of stay in that headspace, then everything else, it either doesn't matter or it matters through a completely different prism, which is kind of only beautiful and positive. That's such an amazing answer. Um, so you guys are playing the the Fillmore here in Philly on March sixteenth. Yeah. Um, tickets still available and stuff like that. Um, are you, you guys usually have like a, a two year schedule in between albums. Are you kind of thinking about the next one, or are you living with this one for the next year? Yeah, I have I have a lot of tunes written. I'm excited about that. Um, my brother and I are building a studio um, in Altadena where we're, where we're going to be living soon. And um, I love the idea of, of even upping that, that um, output. Um, I love the idea of an album a year or maybe two albums a year, just, just kind of keep feeding it. I think that there was a period of time where two, uh, two years felt 
like the right amount of time for a label to milk it or whatever. And that just seems to be ending. And now with the way that streaming is reframing how the industry works, um, it just seems like you can't do enough. Like you can't, you, like there's, it would be fine if you release some every month. Um, it's so much, it seems like it's more community based. Like if you have the community, which we're lucky enough to have, then um, we're not going to overexpose, you know? And so I, I, uh, I love the idea of really r- r- ratcheting up our output. That's awesome. Uh, ever any um, solo stuff or, or when you write, do you just immediately think it's, it's Dawes? I mean, this band is so fun to be in and there's their family in some cases, in one case, quite literally. And it's like, when I write a song, if I want there to be piano, I just couldn't imagine preferring anybody instead of Lee, or if there's going to be drums, I wouldn't want it to be anybody except Griffin. And then as some of our songs show on some of our records, like a song like St. Augustine, if there shouldn't be anything except for me and guitar, then that's what it'll be. So it's hard to justify or or to rationalize the idea of stepping away from the thing, you know, um, maybe someday if if we need, if we need it as an excuse to just go play more shows or release something right on the heels of a Dawes record, but no one wants to let us, maybe we can release it under my own name or or something. But, um, but meaning to like get away and get a breath of fresh air. Like I just, I haven't had that feeling ever. No, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. I mean, it is it is named after you, so like, uh, <laughs> so I guess you feel comfortable enough to <laughs> to yeah. not. But uh, Taylor, thank you so much uh, for doing this today and Thanks sitting down and chatting really with me. And um, I'm I'm gl- I'm glad you enjoyed it. Is there anything you'd like to leave these folks with uh, today? No, just as David Letterman likes to say, "May all your favorite bands stay together." <laughs> My many thanks again to Taylor for joining me on the show today. Dawes' new album, Misadventures of Doomscroller, is available now on vinyl and streaming on all of the major streaming platforms. And the Philly leg of the Evening with Dawes tour hits the Fillmore on Thursday, March 16th. Tickets are still available. If you want to find more about Taylor and Dawes, you can visit www.dawestheband.com. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash DawesFB, on Instagram at DawesIG, and on Twitter at DawesTwitter. Links to all of those are in the show notes. If you have not done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And guys, don't forget, it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for Citizenship of the World just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Oh man, yeah. I'm kind of feeling this new episode every week thing. So what the heck? We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. 
Hey yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be. Yo, that's my John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>